0: Well, let's, um, let's take a moment and jump in to the series that we're in. Remember I said um, that we're gonna take three weeks uh, kind of covering Genesis chapter two, and last week we uh, considered the importance of place, of the deep longing to belong, and that God created the world uh, actually and put humanity at the heart of it, and he has given us um, He has given us a physical reality by which we can live out our relational existence because we are created in the image of God, which at its core means that we are meant, that is, we are hardwired for relationship with God and with one another. And that relational aspect requires a place by which relationship can be lived out. And as I talked about last week, um, a church, for example, this place Uh, that what makes a space sacred um, is people recognizing the presence of the living God uh, in a moment and that is this moment right now as we come we're not coming to learn more about Jesus we're coming to meet with the living Christ and as we do that it actually brings a sacredness to the places in which we inhabit and I talked about the importance even of how home becomes is a deep uh, central longing to, to, to belong um, and then what makes a home a home and then just the the, the moving back and forth between the material reality of home um, and then the metaphorical um, or even the spiritual meaning behind the idea that we ourselves are the home by which God dwells within us and makes himself known to the world through his people Um, And that our physical spaces are often a reflection of what's going on internally. Uh, And so, you know, really, if if you wanna go deeper into into a conversation about the purpose of place, um, I I would encourage you to listen to the conversation that I had with my wife um, a few months back on hospitality. um, Because uh, that's a huge aspect of Of what door of hope is about if we are um, if we have a liturgy at door of hope I would say that um, our liturgy is familial Uh, that's our that's our drive as we want this place to be a place where people come in the door and they have they have hope because they discover that they can be known and know that they discover that they are loved um, that we and part of our liturgy is the messiness that comes with being a family. And this is why you have a pastor that pushes so uncomfortably, I'm sure at times for some of you into a radical vulnerability because it's the family which is in, within the home that should be the safest place to be our most authentic and true selves, which means that we share um, with each other not only our strengths, but we also rely on each other as we confess our weaknesses. Um, and that is, that is a deep, a deep drive for me is I want to see people set free from the pretense that you need to put forth um, an ideal that you yourself can't keep. Uh, that's not what it means to be a Christian. And that is not what it means to be spirit filled or spirit led. It doesn't mean that you now are some sort of sinless saint. A saint is just a sinner who has cried out mercy to the God of the universe and has found their strength in him. And a saint is merely one who says, Jesus, I give you everything, including the crummy parts of me. I give you the good and the bad. It's all yours. I am yours. <laughs> That's what he's looking for, is a total surrender. So today, what I want to talk about, if, if we consider place, today I want to consider Work um and and then i want to consider next week um family uh for we see the creation of the other um, adam finds no uh, no one su- no suitable partner um, and god says over adam in a sinless state it's not good that man be alone and we'll consider that in detail next week but today i want us to consider the topic of work i want to just begin with these three passages um because It's impossible to talk about work um, and its fulfillment um, without also taking into consideration its frustration. Um, Work is something that was actually given by God to humanity before the fall. It is a part of God's good creation. It's a part of God's good design that we not only exist, but we are to exist for something and we are to contribute To what it is that we exist for Um, and so uh, I always say there's no static position um, for the Christian I would argue there's actually no static position for human existence static essentially the only thing that's truly static is that which is dead Uh, and so we are meant to live and we are meant to live for something concrete Uh, and in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 it says the Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to what care for it and maintain it (laughs) that's called a job that's called I have asked you to come into partnership with me I have made this world and I've put you at the center of it everything I have created I have created for your enjoyment in fact here's the interesting thing work now is driven by a necessity to provide for ourselves and for our families I, I was I was noting one of the differences with work before the fall is that Adam did not was not commanded to work for the fruit that he ate or the food that he ate. Um, in fact, God says you can eat from whatever ever tree you want; it's all yours. But what he was called to do was to care for the place that he was living. But it it, it is the ultimate picture of the of of a work that is not marked yet by by toil and so it's not he's not having to work for his food he's working um, he's working because it's a gift and it gives him purpose uh, and it allows him to actually enjoy Uh, so he really is functioning more like a gardener before the fall Um, it's after the fall that he's forced to become a farmer (laughs) Um, and that's a very different thing Uh, and so this uh this this picture of God says I have created you and I am now giving you what purpose and we need purpose it's important Genesis two nineteen, he says the Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field every bird of the air he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature that was its name um, I could do a whole message on the significance of um, the ability to name things uh, and what it means to be made in the image of a God who is creator and How God creates is he calls things into being he names them uh, It's interesting that man is given the ability to name God doesn't name everything He lets he lets man participate in that creative activity and that shows us another side of work is, is humanity is meant to subdue the world uh, and, and that means subdue it in a way that it's cared for. The fall has corrupted our ability to subdue without action. our domination now um, and our, our, our tendency to, to divide and conquer, if you will, uh, every, every time we create something that brings benefit to the world Unfortunately, sin always seems to mean that there's an underbelly to it that might not even show itself for you know 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, uh, that, that humanity cannot subdue the earth without also damaging it now. And that's part, of the, that's part of the fall. But here in 219, we see what God has intended for us, that we are to be co-laborers with him. He's invited us as image bearers to actually share in his work. Uh, to actually participate in that. And it speaks of that, the power of naming a thing is that he's giving giving humanity authority over the creation. But it's authority under authority. Uh, And I think that's a really beautiful thing, the idea that we can be an extension of God Um, in our ability to participate in the very world that he created it's his world we are his people um, but he has also invited us to participate in um, in the work and the care of this world um, by allowing us in some ways to to name things to to actually participate Uh, work is 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 a creative act in a way that is meant that should contribute to the world's uh, to the world or the place in which we live, to its flourishing. That's something that actually is important for human existence. We want, we want to be someone that um, contributes to the flourishing of the world. I had a friend, a really dear friend, and if you guys are wine drinkers, you should go buy wine from him because he's on Division. He's an amazing man. His name is Will. He, you know, him and his wife, Danielle, own Division Wine. And him um, and his son came to church, and it was Will's First time in his entire life, uh, he's uh, he's he's ten years older than me, um, and he'd never been to church in his life. And he came, and he had never he didn't even have language for it. So he he left me a voicemail. And his son um, was my son's best friend, all growing up from grade school all the way through high school. Uh, and he goes, Josh, I just wanted to tell you how moved I was by um, by the experience I had today. Um, and he said. He said, uh, I re- and this is when you know that someone has no church background, when they, don't, when they refer to a sermon. As, he goes, I really like your talk. Um, <laughs> and he's like, he goes, and there was just one word that came to mind when you were speaking. Um, and he goes, I hope this isn't offensive or in any way diminishes what you do. He goes, but the word that kept coming to mind is it seemed useful. It se- and, and he goes, it seemed helpful. And he goes, and he goes. I, if I don't mean for that to be offensive, because I, I think that the best that we could ever do as human beings is be useful. And I was like, that's a very profound statement coming from a man who has literally never been to church in his life. Is that this whatever's happening here at Door of Hope, he saw it as something that is useful or something that actually builds community, doesn't tear it apart it's he saw it as something he saw it as a work that was worth doing it's contributing um and i and i love that and i think what he was pointing at is this is part of that that aspect of what it means to be image bearers of god Um, uh, and then finally we we can't talk about the good side of work and and the beauty of work and the ability to be in some ways co-creators if you will um, or at least co-labors with the creator uh, without actually taking into consideration the fact and we will consider this in great detail in the coming weeks um, the fall which happens in Genesis 3 it doesn't take very long for things to get messed up in fact uh, in fact, Genesis 3 when it comes to man he begins remember the serpent deceives, uh, deceives the woman the woman gives the fruit to the man who's sitting in the background. Um, he eats of it. They both um, now have, uh, they have chosen to define for themselves what is now right and what is wrong. Um, and the outcome of that is the serpent is cursed and who is the emblem of Satan himself. Uh, and then the, um, and what you have with the man, this is the interesting thing is God doesn't curse the man and the woman. What he does is he curses the ground. And, and I want you to notice this. And I, I actually prefer, and I, lo- I looked at kind of a deep dive into um, the, the exact phrasing. In the New King James, uh, it actually says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Um, it can be translated, cursed is the ground because of you, because of what you've done. Um, but it also can be translated for your sake, as in actually for your good. Uh, and now, uh, this is one of those mysterious ways that, like Hebrew, is uh, it's the richness of meaning um, is that translators are consistently confronted with how is one to best translate a word based upon um, uh, based upon the context. And I would I understand why they would say "cursed is the ground because of you," um, but I'm actually more intrigued with why it would be translated, cursed is the ground for your sake. And this is my personal conviction and belief. And I actually think it's, it, it, it aligns with the gospel itself. God would not be good to leave man in a fallen state in Eden. In other words, to leave, to leave it so that, that uh, the, the, the reality is, is that man in the perfect garden, which I believe is what humanity is always trying to get back to, it's always trying to um, to find a way around the challenges of existence, but the thing is, is instead of, we want to move back to the garden state, but we want to do it without God. And God curses the ground because I believe it is the cursing of the ground, that making work actually difficult, that is meant, even in this, God is taking the ugliness of of sin and he is bringing about beauty out of it i'm going to make this difficult because if i left you in a place of of ease and and perfection you would never again see your need for me and that would be the worst thing for you so the best thing i can do is actually make the your existence on the world that i created for your good more difficult so that you will once again turn to me um, and, and I see, I see a, a profound God's mercy at play here in what seems like a very difficult word. But the fact of the matter is, is that he says, work is not going to be easy. That the ground, and, and also, by the way, there is multiple um, things at play, um, uh, layers of meaning. Uh, what was it that they did? They ate the fruit that uh, that they were forbidden to eat which was only one tree (laughs) you can eat from all of them just don't eat from this one God creates parameters or boundaries he gives them a choice because relationship requires choice and the choice that they took was I we will choose to define for ourselves what is right and wrong what comes all of God's judgment has to do with eating the serpent now will eat dust uh, the, the humans now they will eat but it's going to be by the difficulty it it's not going to be just a free-for-all because now now you're going to have to work for what you eat and it's not going to give easily um, and I think it's it's a profound thing it's, it it shows the outworking and cause and effect cause and effect um, it, that it's at play here but this is what I want us to see from this, because this is, this is what um, we have to understand is that work like everything else is mixture, is mixture. Um, and you know, here's an interesting, I just read this book uh, a, a while back uh, called the, um, uh, the, Rise, uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self um, by Carl Truman. And one of the things he was talking about, um, and he's hitting on a theme that David Brooks hit Uh, on in The Road to Character, um, who's a New York Times bestseller, uh, is that our great, our grandparents, uh, our our grandparents do not understand uh, and don't relate to uh, the ways that we think about existence and purpose and work. And Carl, Carl Truman says, listen, my grandfather, if you were to ask him, do you find your work satisfying, he wouldn't he would be confused by that question. And he would simply say, and he goes, he, he goes, I think that he would say, yes, I enjoy it because it actually provides for my family. We are not like that. For us, it's far less about how it provides for others and is far more driven by, does it make me personally happy? And this is a complicated thing because it it challenges the ways that we, how we have come to define values is that personal satisfaction or personal happiness in our work has actually become the most important thing. Um, But when you actually look at the trajectory of a self-centered reason for working or existing, the things that people want to do to bring themselves satisfaction are less um uh how shall i say it kindly are less hinged upon reality and far more based upon fantasy Um, the number one thing that kids today want to be when they grow up is famous i just want you to think about that for a second because First of all, we all know what fame is, but none of us really understand it. We know it when we see it, and it doesn't even seem like the people that get it understand it, and nobody actually seems to want it once they have it. Um, I, and when I talk, it's not wealth. There, is, there are so many people that are, I, I was in uh, West Palm Beach, and there are more billionaires that live there than anywhere else in the world. I never heard of any of them. Most of them are like, They're just people behind massive, massive companies. A lot of them foreigners, you know, like oil investment and all these things. They're not famous. That is not the Wealth is a part of what people want because they want to be able to buy things, but that's actually not what they're most interested in. What they're most interested in is being known at a spectacular level. (laughs) Uh, However, what people don't understand is it's, you know, it's, it's flying far too close to the sun, um, and nobody gets famous without being burned by it. Uh, and, and I think that this is, this is insane to me, that the deep you know, in the 50s, if you asked a group of high school kids what they wanted to be when they grew up, you know, they would be like, I want to be a, you know, the, the most outrageous thing you would maybe get is, I want to be an astronaut, you know, which, that, and that, that still meant, you know, that was just the beginnings of like, I want to try to... Inter, you know, you're like, well, that's ridiculous. But nobody is like, I want, they maybe even said, I would like to be a musician or a dancer <laughs> or an actor. Um, and that's a very small percentage. But now it's not even those things. It's just, I just want to be famous. So this, is, this shows us how upside down and the natural outcome um, of, of a society that is driven by the, the rise and the triumph of the individual and how it has corrupted our understanding of what it means to work. I think that we cannot ignore the fact that work is necessary and at the same time we also have to recognize that it is difficult um, and that if we believe what our society has told us is that work is ultimately about our personal happiness, we are bound to be consistently discouraged. So I want to just talk about three things around work um, from a biblical perspective, and I want to just ask, um, ask a series of questions, because I want to first of all consider this. Work is a gift, um, but also as a necessity, uh, and look at this verse in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. This is Paul writing. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some, of you, some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I think... For, First of all, when we refuse to recognize work as a gift and see it, work was never the curse. What was cursed was the ground um, due to the fall, which means, and I just think that ultimately what that means, I don't think that it's God like actually just did something to the ground. I think that the meaning of that is due to the mixture that resides within us now, our work will always be mixture. Um, our weariness, and the death in things, and the ways that we tire, and the ways that we get bored, um, the ways that we lose our sense of wonder. You know, Chesterton said, God must have the heart of a child in orthodoxy. He said, for it is the child who never bores of this, of this, uh, of anything that they're interested in. What 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 does a little toddler say all the time when they find... Do it again, do it again. Have you ever watched like a, I watched once a two-year-old play with like a, like a, a lid to a cup, you know, for like 45 minutes in, in absolute ecstasy. Uh, and I, I remember being struck by it. There's nothing wrong with that child. Uh, that, that was not a, a, that's not a commentary on the child's intelligence. In fact, I would say what it's a commentary on is children's ability to create entire universes with the most simple object um, th- because they're full of vitality. The sign of, of uh, the loss of child-likeness as we get older um, and the toil we feel in things that once brought wonder um, is a sign of, of the outcome of sin. And I think it's why work becomes difficult because we don't know how to maintain that sense of wonder. Um, and this is why I always say for Christians, I don't think that our responsibility as Christians is to be super serious. Is why I actually like, I, personally for me, I've gained a lot of insight and I'm grateful for the Puritans, but I have one massive issue with them. They don't seem to smile and they don't think things are funny and if you don't yourself recognize that you are freaking ridiculous then you are blind to what it means to be a human being because life is a comedy, it's a tragic comedy but you are and the more serious you are I honestly believe the more blindly comedic you are as well. Because I believe I live by this rule of thumb to be born again means to be brought back to a sense of childlikeness, it's the thing that gives us vitality, it's the thing that gives us the ability to see, even though work is difficult, to see it still as a gift. Because one of the great outcomes of, of being born again is we are given now the capacity to live with gratitude, and without gratitude we have all we have is misery and listen life is difficult when I look at what's happening in the Middle East right now it's it is so deeply troubling and it it, what is heartbreaking is that you have small groups on both sides that are actually creating heartbreak pain and death for a lot of people who have nothing to do with what's being fought over you think about the amount of children that are going to die, that already have died, uh, that is a heartbreaking reality. It shows us that we are not masters of our universe. Um, and so don't think that I'm not saying that, we, that to, be, to see uh, life with a sense of wonder or to have a lightness, if you will, in how we address our days, um, it does not mean that we diminish pain and suffering. It just means that we recognize uh, that I am best not taking myself or the world very seriously but I should always take Jesus and grace and others really seriously and that's kind of the motto by which I live I'm like I'm I like man if we can't laugh what is there what is like what what what's the like I that's why I'm like when I go into a church where it's just all serious I mean, I've been to a few churches where man it seemed like to be a member required being like like all laughter you know you know where in the dante's inferno where it says um uh hope here what is it uh hope i think um like hope ceases like wait what is that yeah abandon hope i like i feel like there's churches i've gone in like abandon laughter <laughs> like all fun is done <laughs> like that that hey that that's the bumper sticker right there um <laughs> Uh, but I think that this is a this is a problem and I think part of the ability to actually engage in the difficulty of existence is the ability to recognize its frustration and not allow it to destroy um, what it means to be an image bearer of God but I think it speaks to something um, that is also important that we have to see work as a gift but we need to see it as a necessity and it is a necessity to live and one of the things that Paul says here is he said listen idleness um, is not an option. And one of the things that people kind of often ask me about is like Paul's relationship or Jesus' relationship with government, uh, with um, being a contributing member in a society. People ask me that all the time. Josh, you seem to be apolitical or you you seem to be agnostic when it comes to politics. Um, And I, I really am. Uh, And just so you know, and I don't believe that everything is political, and I don't believe that the church's responsibility um, is to push people toward a particular political allegiance, and I don't see that modeled in Jesus. All Jesus was ever willing to say about Rome uh, was, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. I think the purpose of Paul's writings in regards to honoring, uh, honoring the king or the emperor and paying your taxes and doing all those things is... He, what his goal was is live as peaceably as possible in the society that you are in so that you can have as much freedom as possible to share the gospel with as many as possible. That's, that's, how, that's how I view all of that. So I think I have a responsibility to be a law-abiding, contributing member of the society in which I live. I don't do it because of some... Uh, some Uh, patriotic zeal, although I am grateful for where I live and would consider myself a patriot, Um, but I do it primarily as a means of having the freedom to share the love of Jesus with as many people as possible. Um, and I think that this is I think that's the reason that Paul lays out this work so for him idleness the unwillingness to contribute to the common good of the place in which you're placed is actually it is actually putting a preventative of actually being a part or participating in the ultimate good which is what does it mean to be a witness of of Jesus Christ Um, and I think that this is um, this is something that we have to understand Uh, what I grew up with a single mom and a father who never paid child support and never contributed at all. And my dad was a man who rarely worked in his life. Um, And if he did work, it was very short-lived. And he thought he could become rich by gambling and by selling drugs. And I think that you see this all the time as people who are looking for ways. I mean, in our instantaneous culture, I feel like we're always trying to figure out ways to get fit without working out. Get material things without working. Uh, You know, everything for us is like, how do we get to that goal as quickly as possible? Let me tell you, God has taken what humanity has brought upon itself, sin, which has brought death, and he has actually taken the theme of death and woven it into his redemptive purposes. And I would argue now that there is all the best things in life cannot be experienced without tasting some level of death in it. And what I mean by that is that if you want to get fit, you have to go through the suffering and the pain and the destruction of your muscles before they can grow. You've got to, there's, there's an exertion um, that is a physical requirement. And I think it's the same with work. When I was first a Christian, um, i I, I laid down my dreams of being a musician full-time because I lost my record deal and I finally, as I became a Christian, realized I was taking myself way too seriously and thinking that what I was doing was far too special and all the, all the while my wife is being the primary breadwinner and she's like, you suck, like you need to friggin' man up. And she wasn't yet a Christian and she wanted nothing to do with Jesus because she didn't see me modeling anything that would, like, you know, at least before you, when you did drugs and was a partier, at least you were fun then. Now you're, like, serious and you're still not contributing. It was not a good testimony. And it was, and so I began, I, I realized it, and I, I started a painting company, a restoration painting company. And I spent years, I don't even know. By the way, I don't think um, eating lead paint is that bad for you because I've eaten pounds of it and I think I'm doing just fine. Um, <laughs> I probably will, that's just horrible. But it's, I was thinking about the amount of like 1880 era homes that I angle grinded down to bare wood without a mask on and I just I don't like to think about what that means for me. I, I probably have reduced my life by a solid 10 years, but that just means that I won't ever have to wear Depends. That's all that means. Um, so you work hard, you play hard, you die fast. That's the, um, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Um, but I, I remember the, the job and I, and, and I worked so hard and, and I provided, but I started to become embittered by it because I'm like, this isn't who I am. This isn't what I'm wired to do. And I just remember a moment of surrender and it was like the most freeing thing um, is Darcy came to faith um, and I was able to be a man the first to provide for my family something my father never did and we had henry and darcy was always the one that was like making more money being responsible she still is the one that manages our entire household but i was able we were a partnership um i couldn't lead this church without her we're a partnership still to this day um she does more uh, than you guys will ever know and it goes often unnoticed because i'm the one in the front um but that partnership all of a sudden I was fulfilling my responsibility of being a partner, um, of being a leader, of being a contributor. Um, and I was, and I had a baby. And I was, the necessity was felt because I felt for the first time the importance of the other. That I want to provide not to fulfill my happiness. I want to provide, there is happiness, there is joy, there is meaning found in being a, one who contributes, that becomes I became useful in the words of, of Will. And it was a profound thing. And I remember it took arguing with the Lord. And I said, Lord, if you want me to paint houses for the rest of my life, just give me the joy to do it. That was my one request. Just give me the joy to do it. And, and he did until he moved me on. Um, but it wasn't, and I think when I wrestled with him, I was trying, constantly trying to get out of my work um, to get back to my own desires uh, and my own purposes. I always found myself miserable, I always fell off, I always had this underlying guilt. Um, and anytime I've allowed laziness um, or idleness to come in due to discontentment with who I, who I am or where I am, um, nothing good has come out of that. And some of, you, some of you know that. Thomas Aquinas defined work as the strenuous exertion of man to secure the goods necessary for living. <laughs> I think like it's a pretty basic definition, but it's not, it's not wrong. God expects us to secure and preserve the freedom he has given us, and that means we must work. Our our work actually secures the freedom that he has given us as human beings. Um, And I think that um, a lazy person um, is essentially another way of describing someone who is being a what? A non-contributor. And and listen, if if you find that that is something that you struggle with we all struggle with that at times so i don't this is not to guilt or shame but it is to encourage you that it doesn't have to be that way and one of the reasons we need one another is because we can all have those moments where we feel despair a lack of motivation and inability to engage in the day we can struggle with depression or anxiety or social anxieties whatever it might be i just want you to know that there i know there are multitude of reasons that can in. create a, a, this, this feeling that work is impossible um, and this is why we need to be a confessional community and I don't say that to shame you if you're in that position I'm just simply saying that the goal of your life is not to be a non-contributor and don't listen to the lies of the enemy if you found yourself in that place you don't have to stay in that place um, and I just want you to know that you're loved This is not to make you feel like garbage. In fact, I think the only thing that motivates us out of a place of non-contributing is to know that we're loved even when we're not contributing. Um, That's the only real motivation for existence. Um, And and I think it is the, uh, I think guilt and shame is like sand in the gears of life. Uh, But love is the thing that oils the gears and allows us to rise up out of whatever we've been doing that maybe is not what God's best is for us or our, and has hindered our ability to contribute to the good of others. So, work is a gift and it is a necessity. It's just as simple as that. It was given before the fall um, and it is a necessity to, to exist in the world in which we live. Secondly, it's this, um, we need to think of the selection and the motivation of work in Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All else, just building on this last statement, is that what we want to be thinking about is, is we are being useful or we are contributing, but the motivation um, of our work, and, even in, and we should be thinking about this when we select work, god has given us a tremendous amount of freedom and i love um chuck bomar's message um a a month ago when he said god has gifted the church by the holy spirit and each person has a unique role to play in the fulfillment of of the great commission or god's command for us to be witnesses but he has also gifted us uniquely to be contributing to the world in which we live we are called to be a people that that do our best to help whatever arena of influence we have, others to flourish. Um, and, and this means that when we select our work, we, have, we should be asking those questions. And I had a great conversation. By the way, if you're an artist, I know Door of Hope has always been filled with artists. I am a true artist through and through. And the reason I don't talk about art very much is because I don't wanna help you feel what, all Christian artists feel which is we're the worst thinking Christians because we're constantly like I must I must self-reflect I so I need to so, and then you're like but no but I'm supposed to deny myself but I have to express myself but I should deny myself I just wanna encourage you God knew what he was doing when he created you as a creative being and if you feel like this constant conflict like is it right for me to want to ex- self-express when Jesus is all about self-denial. I think the bottom line is you don't need to be an artist to desire to self-express. So all of us have a deep longing to be known. All of us also want to know that what we're doing matters, and we also want to know that what we're that that um, that what that what we do or who we are is, is, is seen on some level. That is, we wanna be known. We want to do things that contribute, but we wanna do things that matter. We wanna feel like what we're doing is, val- is valued. And I think it's very easy for us to live in our minds and think that what I do doesn't matter. And I just want you to know, if you are contributing to the good of the world in which you are called to live, you are providing what is necessary to exist then it matters. And just know that everybody's gotta do, like every, everything that happens around us, like if you're a garbage man, it really matters what you do. Because if it's not picked up, it's a big problem, isn't it? If, if you work in the service industry, it actually matters what you do. And I know that there are people that have, like I have a job and I just don't know that it actually is contributing to the common good. And there's all these wrestling, I think the big thing is this is are you surrender to Jesus and are you just simply saying Lord you know who I am you know what I do I just surrender to you make it useful (laughs) because maybe he has you in a job that isn't necessarily what he's gonna have you doing forever but he has you there because he specifically wants you to be a witness to someone else there you just have no idea the kind of narrative that he is trying to tell with your existence what I believe is the most exciting aspect of being a Christian is to recognize that Jesus can take what seems like the most meaningless thing and bring incredible meaning and purpose out of it. That every interaction, every introduction, every person you meet, there is the possibility of something that has eternal consequence. And that is a profound reality. I didn't understand certain jobs that I had as a, as a Christian where I was really struggling when I was painting. And I, I'm like, I think a huge reason God kept me in that painting job forever is because I had an atheist friend I worked with who loved to ask me questions like, were there fresh were there freshwater tanks on the ark? How did that work? Um, like, man, I don't freaking know. He's um, like, you know, just like, just de- like, years of working with a guy that railed on me for being a Christian every day. And he was one of my dearest friends and he just was so disgusted that I would collapse to the weakness of this thing called Christianity. He would try to give me books like Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. I'm like, I'm like, Pff, Bertrand Russell, I'm gonna write a book about Bertrand Russell called Why I'm No Longer a Reader because he's so boring. Um, <laughs> so, like, I'm like, all those were good. It was all purposeful. And sometimes we can't see it in the moment, but I think part of being a Christian who lives by faith is trusting that everything you do has eternal significance when you invite Jesus into it. That's, that's all I would simply say. And so you might have a job. I think there are jobs out there that may not be something that is beneficial for you or for others. And you should be asking God that question every day. And if you're in that, I would say the first rule of thumb, does it provide what is necessary? But then the second thing is that there should be selection, there should be motivation behind the work. And the purpose here is it's not for you, it's for others. It's for others. Do we have something to share with anyone in need? Do you realize that your work and your ability to make a paycheck and then your willingness to give to the church is the only reason that these lights are on and you're able to come into this building that we own and are paying for. That this is your church, that our salaries are paid by your, by your giving. This is all part of your work, even at the. You might hate your job, but your job is helping your community actually exist. Those are all good things. And worth worth taking into because I think sometimes we can be so consumed with what is not not satisfying that we lose sight of the of the whole. We lose sight of the importance of the whole. And I know that I've had that as a, your lead pastor. I've had moments where I'm like, I hate this job. I like freaking hate it. Is it okay to confess that? <laughs> and but it was in those why because I because. Of my own brokenness and the sense of feeling fraudulent and feeling overwhelmed and feeling exhausted and just feeling trapped like I'm in a fishbowl, like I can't go anywhere without someone coming up and be like, Pastor Josh. Um, And I was like, there there were times where I'm like, I need out of this. But it was all it took usually to snap me out of that is an email. I've listened to your sermon from, you know, Belgium. So grateful for Door of Hope. I wish we had a church like that. Like we need perspective sometimes. And just being reminded that what we're doing matters. And even something that I love. I get to do everything I love in this job. And I still find ways to be discontent. So just know that that's part of the frustration in work that's due to the fall. It's not God's fault. It's our our sin that blinds us to the importance of the things that we do. And so selection and motivation is an important thing. Um, And I think that our work should be done honestly, it should be done diligently, um, uh, and it should be for the purpose of bringing good about. Finally, think of work and its limitations um, uh, and and the purpose of reflection, the limitations of and a reflection upon work. Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord and your God, and on it you shall do no work. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let me be really clear That just as it's easy to become um, disinterested in your work, it is also possible to make your work your God. And there are plenty, and the reason that I became, I got to the point where I was like, I hate this job, is because I forgot that rest is a necessary part of work. Now, I think it's interesting, we talk about the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is dependent upon the first part of this command, which is, you shall work six days. But then there is times where we have to cease from our work because our work can become our identity. I am this. I am when people ask you, like, who are you? What are you? Uh, you know, we, I, It's always an interesting question. People ask me what I do. And what they're wanting to know is, how do you identify yourself? Um, and we put a lot of... Um, a, a lot of uh, weight upon um, what kind of occupation we are. And if you say you're a doctor, then there's an immediate uh, thing in the mind of the, the, the listener that, oh, that means that you're smart, that you went to school a really long time, and that you make a lot of money. Um, it's so funny that we're not actually thinking about any of the things that are actually important about the statement, I'm a doctor, because that means, oh, you save lives. You're like, oh, well, you'd probably drive a BMW then. Um, like like we put, for us, uh, often work and identity becomes about status uh, rather than usefulness. I think that the, one of the purposes of rest, of the need to stop, is to remind ourselves that everything we do and everything we have is a gift. It's also to keep work in its proper place and to recognize that the purpose of work is that work is not an end in and of itself but it is a means to the end. A means toward what is ultimate, which is relationship, which I believe the purpose of Sabbath is to to reflect on the goodness of God and what it means to be made in His image. Um, It's a a time to cease from my activity for the purpose of being reminded that I am not my work um, and, and to ask the question, is my work? serving what actually really matters which is the God of the universe and my neighbor because at the end of the day guys it all comes down to two things love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself our work is for the purpose of fulfilling those two commands period (laughs) that's that is the sum total I mean think about it how useless would work be if there weren't people to share in the fruit of it um if there, wasn't, if, there was no one, if there was no other, um, what would be the purpose of work? Uh, but we are a part of a community, and we have responsibilities in that community. So I want to just close with this verse from Jesus himself, because I think it's a fascinating passage um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He recognizes the frustration and the necessity of work. And he recognizes the way that existence wears us out. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And you're like, yes, Jesus wants us to stop working, right? But then he follows it up with like, take my yoke upon you. What? I thought we were stopping work. I'm pretty sure that a yoke is for a very specific thing. Work. Work. <laughs> and Jesus is a carpenter you know what a yoke is it's something you put on the back of an ox but here's the thing Jesus is a carpenter would also know that even the smallest the smallest imperfection in a yoke would have the ability to cripple an ox and prevent it from doing the work in other words the yoke was meant to distribute the work in a way that the work that they were able to do the work and so Jesus recognizes that there is much frustration in our lives and when we don't have him at the center our work can be an unbearable burden that can actually break us destroy us and diminish um, the meaning of what it means to be image bearers but when we have him at the center he can show us how to enter into it in a way that it does not destroy us but actually brings about good not only for us but for others and so he, he his rest is not the ceasing of work it's actually learning how to rest while we work which i think is a profound aspect of jesus in his in his communication on the sabbath too take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy my work uh, that i i will actually create um, a means by you to enter into the world where there's a lightness in your step I truly believe this goes back to my uh, to my, and my burden is light I think this goes back to my opening statement about part of the gospel is to bring a sense of play and wonder and lightness to our existence by which we can enter into the dark days because what do people need to see in the world right now more than ever that we need to reflect to them that this is not the best there is that we contribute to the world but we're not destroyed by it we're not controlled by it we're not defined by it we're defined by the creator of this world and this world was actually created for us and for our good and therefore we should be already reflecting the now and not yet reality of his kingdom that we are a kingdom outpost for King Jesus. And part of being a kingdom outpost for King Jesus is that we recognize that the greatest joy in life is to be known and to be loved and to be conduits of that love. And so now I can enter into any job. I'm a janitor, I'm a, I'm a garbage man, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a server at a restaurant, I'm a stewardess. All of it, we see all of it as a playground by which we can bring the love of Christ to a lost and broken world. That's the lightness. It's recognizing like this isn't the end, <laughs> this isn't define me, Jesus defines me. He's my identity and when he is my identity I can enter into anything with joy. That's the whole, that's the whole essay. Have you guys ever read that book, Practicing the Presence of God, my brother Lawrence? Little tiny slim volume. What is, he, he, was, he was a crippled monk who learn to find joy in the most mundane things like washing dishes because every moment was the possibility of intimacy with God and when we live with an awareness of the God in whom we serve and an awareness of our neighbor who is around us at any given point in any given day I promise you your work will take on meaning you will become useful But if you focus solely on yourself, your satisfaction, your hopes, your dreams, nothing can reduce you to uselessness faster. And I know that from experience. So, you're loved. If you're lazy, you're loved. Let love motivate you out of laziness. If you are struggling to provide and you're working hard, but still haven't struggled to provide, you're loved, that's the the reason you have community, because we need each other because not all of us will be doing well at any given point in any, every day this is why we need one another and God wants to call you out of that that the hiding that we can be forced into as a society that's not what God has and we have to show the world a different way which is a radical vulnerability and maybe some of you hate your work today I just want you to maybe this is a good opportunity to come to Jesus and say Lord give me a new vision for what I do show me the value in what i'm doing i don't know if i can do this just bring it to the lord just be honest about it and share it with others that's why we that's why we come together okay what you do matters you matter contribute to the witness of jesus and you'll find lightness in the things you do i promise amen let's pray lord jesus thank you so much for the gospel and its ability to bring transformation to our lives I pray right now over this room, over this community, that we would be a people that see once again the value of the things that we do is driven by our awareness of your deep concern and care for our lives and how our lives reflect you to others and so lord i pray that you would move us out of a self-centered self-focused existence toward a god-centered and others oriented existence lord may we be useful may we contribute may we be grateful for the work that you give us and lord may we may we work hard and lord may we also be a people who know how to rest well thank you that life is not meant to be static but Lord that we are moving toward a goal and ultimately that goal is you, yourself and so Jesus until you return we just pray that you who is our peace um, would be at the center of our lives and that we would be a peaceful presence in the restless world We need you for this, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.